Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in Her Space, we have to give ourselves permission to be self-defined and to determine for ourselves what we have the capacity to do and to take care of who we are, to not let our excellence be defined by anybody else. And when it comes down to our relationships, y'all, sometimes, despite how difficult they can be, we have to learn how to love ourselves and love other people from a distance sometimes. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or even a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or if you feel comforted throughout the episode, lady, please leave us a review and tell us what we're doing right so we can stay on track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit herspacepodcast.com and enter your email address to get updates about our live events and all the new beginnings that we have for this year. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Her Space Podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit herspacepodcast.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. All right, ladies, today we have a very, very special guest in her space. So let's just jump right on in. All right. Dr. Moody is a licensed clinical psychologist lifestyle and relationship coach, and professor. She has dedicated her work to promoting emotional, psychological, and spiritual wellness, particularly for African-American and other diverse populations, as well as increasing mental health education and awareness and access. Dr. Mui obtained her PhD in clinical psychology with an emphasis in multicultural community clinical psychology and is licensed to practice in Texas and the District of Columbia. She is the co-creator and co-facilitator of the Sister Circle Experience, a therapeutic group and wellness retreat for Black women, and is currently serving as a professor at Texas Southern University. Dr. Moody, welcome to Her Space. Thank you for having me. Been looking forward to it all week. Yes. You're so (laughs) welcome. Our quote of the day, you alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. That quote comes to us from our beloved Dr. Maya Angelou. 
Dr. Moody, when you hear that, what comes up for you? The number of Black women that I know who suffer from the not enoughness, the idea that who I am is not enough. Despite our being the most educated race and gender, despite all of the things that we've managed to accomplish, not just most recently, I'm not even going to mention the impact that we've had on the entire presidential. I'm just, I'm not even going to go into detail about that. But what it is that we have had the capacity to actually produce and accomplish in spite unreasonable odds. And to still internally feel like we're not enough, that in the event that we stop producing, that we'd be expendable. And when I think about the idea of Black Girl Magic and the notion that we are generally socialized to martyrdom, so much so to the point where we are not appreciated or praised for who we are, but the resources that we actually provide. and. So in essence, there is this unconscious kind of tendency to feel like we always have to produce in order for us to be accepted and that who we are is not enough. We are not worthy of appreciation. We are not worthy of acknowledgement. We're not worthy of being seen for who we are. We're not worthy of being loved and cherished for who we are, but only for what it is that we have to produce. Or in essence, it reminds me of how much of a role that we've played in terms of being able to nurture everybody else and not giving ourselves the opportunity to become our absolute best selves, to feel like we're worthy of being able to take care of ourselves. And that generally has implications for what our function looks like and for our wellness. So overall, when we think about the concept of enough, And the idea that those are generally standards that we allow other people to set for us. And we look at what it is, like I said, what is it we've managed to accomplish? Then it is so disheartening because the reality is that I don't know that there's a whole lot of people who could pull off what we managed to pull off void of resource or support. I I don't believe that it's a reality for everybody else. I don't. That's a really, really good point, Dr. Moody. And I just wanted, when you said that, Mm -hmm. it made me think about when I took a sabbatical last year and on day one, it was such a privileged thing to be able to do. Like you're paid, you're going on sabbatical and on like day one or two, I was just like, who am I when I'm not working? Like, who am I when I'm not showing up to do something? Right. And I kind of had this little crisis in the midst of this privileged opportunity. So why do you, like, where do you think that comes from? What do you think? I know it may differ across, you know, the different communities, but like, For Black women that you've met with, where do you think that comes from, that feeling of unworthiness and I'm not enough if I'm not doing something, right, or producing? It is a narrative, honestly, that we get from a number of different levels. You think about even in terms of how girls are reared in the household as opposed to boys. The boys have a tendency to be loved and the girls, on the other hand, particularly for African-American communities, I can't say I'm you know, burst and what happens with everybody else. But with us, there's a different level of responsibility that we tend to undertake. And a part of it teaches us that there is responsibility on our part to take care of the people that we're attached to. We watch it happen with our matriarchs and the older women in our families. I mean, it, think about it. It happened in slavery when men were emasculated intentionally, then we kind of had the responsibility to step up in the interest of being able to assure that everything stayed afloat. 
that remained. And in spite of the fact that we may have made progress in terms of what that actual accomplishment or what the progress may have looked like in terms of, yeah, we might have better jobs. There might be a bit more representation in corporate America and things of that nature. But the reality is that even what that looks like for us, as opposed to other populations, it is still, in essence, not enough. We get in environments where, even though there are a lot of these environments that are alleged meritocracies, Regardless of what it is that we produce, and when we stand next to our peers who are more of the dominant culture, then there are still expectations for us to produce more with fewer resources and less support. So the idea that we are not enough, it is reinforced on so many different levels to the point where it becomes internalized and we, in essence, repeat the dialogue. It's the story that we tend to tell. And it gets to the point where it's almost like, much like you said, if I'm not producing, then who am I? We don't really get the opportunity to be able to explore that and not only explore it, find out who it is, how it works for us, but we don't get the opportunity to love and to take care and to cherish who it is that we are. Because the story in essence is that unless you're given something, then you're not valuable. Whoa. I just want to sit with that right there for a moment of the story that we receive is that if we are not giving to other people, then we have no value. When we know the exact opposite mm-hmm. is true. So, but that's, that's a part of the thing. What I'm exploring right now is the idea that in essence, Despite what it is that we see that we're capable of being able to produce, we challenge the idea that we are enough. We challenge it. We do because we continue to overproduce. We do. And on sometimes I question if whether or not other people are more aware or confirmed of what our value is and downplay it because it in essence pays off for them. Oh, that part right there. Okay. All right. Let's dig into that part, Mm -hmm. right? Because what I'm hearing is, as Black women, when we show up, we have a tendency to go above and Mm -hmm. beyond, Mm -hmm. right? And if you tell everyone in the room that there are three things that need to be done, we will not only do those three things, but we will also figure out how to help our teammates in the room Mm -hmm. get to their three Mm -hmm. things and we might add a fourth and a fifth or maybe even a sixth thing on top Mm -hmm. of that and doing it with one hand tied behind your back right and then we still feel like we're not Mm -hmm. enough and then what happens is is the people around us tend to think that oh well instead of doing three they should be doing six I think the logic behind that is layered. There is something that we represent in terms of strength, which we recognize has not necessarily historically been a good thing for us because it does not give us the option of being human. We don't get to stop. We don't get to take care of ourselves. We don't get we don't get those particular options. But that, in essence, for some people comes off as intimidating. And a lot of times what ends up happening is it's like people put you on the pedestal and then say, "Okay, well, I bet you can't do this. And then I bet you can't do that. And we rise to the occasion one time after the other. I also try to take into consideration some of the things that we internalize about ourselves 
that are the negative things like the stereotypes, the things that we fight as far as standards are concerned. You're not enough because you don't look like what I think you should look like. You're not enough because you're not submissive enough. You, you know, the black, the angry black woman stuff, and you are not as emotionally available as I need you to be. Whatever the story is, there's some things that we believe about ourselves that have a tendency to seed and cultivate contention between us that also feeds that particular narrative. So in addition to that, we are also socialized to be more competitive with each other as opposed to supportive. T, okay, I'm not trying to interrupt the show, but I had this random idea I want to share with you and I don't want to forget it. Tell me, tell me, what is it? Okay, so you know how at the start of every new year, birthday, new moon, anniversary, new month, new anything, people find themselves wanting to have a reset, but they're not sure where to start. Mm -hmm, I sure do. What are you thinking? What if we hosted a workshop where we could interact with our listeners to talk about stuff like self-care and self-love? OMG. And we could even have a session about manifestation, leaving toxic relationships and becoming our best selves. Girl, I am so excited. I'm sold. We could call it the Vibrate Higher Empowerment Workshop. Yes, yes, that is it. And, and, and we could even host a live quarterly wind down to check in and build community as we vibrate higher all year. Yo, I love it. I love it. I'm so let's do it. Lady, if this sounds like fun to you, visit newyearworkshop.com and join us for the Vibrate Higher Empowerment Workshop. If you want to release baggage, set intentions and manifest the life you desire, this is just for you, lady. That's newyearworkshop.com. We can't, can't wait, wait to, to connect, connect with you. So there's some ideas about each other that we have that also make us look at and denigrate each other as opposed to actually praise and lend some support to. Because again, the reality is that people can't pull off what it is that we manage to pull off. And, but at the same time, those roots are so deep. The roots are so deep. And because we have the capacity to do so many things, it ends up being where if we are not used to being acknowledged for those kind of things, then we kind of shun the people who do give us that level of acknowledgement. Like something must be wrong with you because I see other people being able to pull off stuff or this one has that and that person has that going on. How do they get to have a life and a family? And then they have, you know, they live in this kind of house and they got this kind of stuff going on, but not taking into consideration what the circumstances are for us and what it is that we end up having to manage in order for us to be able to produce what for what looks like coming from other people as these, you know, absolutely fabulous, like seamless lives. Like why we don't have that? Why the dynamics don't always lend themselves to our being able to have the exact same things as other people. But again, if you look at from the concept of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, no boots, no straps, but manage to be stumping up and down the street like majorettes in a parade. I mean, and making it look graceful, like, okay, this is easy. Everybody should be able to pull this off while pulling a community of people behind you. Give me a break. That part. That is yeah. on point. 
that came up in one of our last episodes to Dr. Moody, this idea of like, yeah, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. We don't have no boots. We don't have no straps. Like, and you mm-hmm. said something about socialization mm-hmm. and it made me think about how, I, re- I don't know if you ladies heard this, but when I was younger, you know, a lot of the older women would say things like, oh, you need to learn how to cook and clean so you can find a good man. Like it's always put on us. Then it's like, you got to be strong. You know, it's like be strong to what extent, right? And then we always heard in school, especially mm-hmm. you got to work harder than everyone else. You got to work harder than your counterparts. And then it makes me also think about how we hear these stories from certain medical doctors where they view black people as stronger, right? So now it's like, well, my pain isn't good enough to be validated and I can't get medicine because, so, I mean, you think about all of that, in addition to what you were saying about socialization, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, goddamn, you know, all this on our shoulders. It's a lot. So how Mm -hmm. how do we combat it, Dr. Moody? How do we combat this? One of the first things that we have to do is to challenge those particular ideas. I mean, sometimes we just have to do some reality testing. If you just tell the whole story, well, I don't have a house that she has and you don't necessarily have the, the husband and I don't have the same job that she has, that kind of stuff. I mean, when we're talking about these things, we kind of have to talk about the circumstances that allow for that. The reality is that despite the hand that we had in actually creating and literally physically building everything that exists in these United States, generational wealth is not real for us. So we don't pass down money. As a matter of fact, if you look at the reality still in 2020, how many people are bearing family members for GoFundMe accounts? So there isn't people whose parents are putting away money in trust funds. It's not that when you, okay, well, when you decide that you are going to buy a house that your parents have $25,000 to gift you to help you with a down payment or anything like that. So those are, are the kind of things that we kind of take for granted. And even when it comes down to what it is that we manage to accomplish, even in academia, the reality is that whether or not you even have the capacity, the potential to get into schools that perhaps might put you in positions to be courted for, you know, these great jobs, then it might not necessarily have anything to do with what your capacity is, but you grew up in an environment where you went to a public school that did not help you to actually maximize your potential. So you didn't gain entry into a university that might have helped to really shore up what it is that you have to offer. So you didn't, you weren't necessarily offered that job or you went to school where, Hey, nobody's over here giving out internships. So we don't know anything about the internships that might help me to get in better positions. So we also don't take into consideration the fact that, Hey, a lot of us experience role strain and that it's not just ourselves that we end up taking care of. I've, especially with my affinity for historically black colleges and universities having, I can't tell you how many students that I've had who've come to school and they come to school completely on financial aid, but their financial aid, they don't get to use just for what is it they need to go to school and to live, but they're trying to help to take care of their families. And I got to go home and do such and such for to make sure my kid brother has uniforms for school and to help my mom pay bills and things of that nature. So there are a bunch of luxuries and I'm calling them luxuries because from our perspective, that's kind of what they end up looking like. There's not a whole lot of stuff that we have access to that sets us up to be in the same positions as other people yet. We have a tendency to make it there more often than not. And we really don't take into consideration the amount amount of work that it actually takes to do that. So what we really have to do is, first of all, tell the entire story and give ourselves permission to be human and to really be able to determine for ourselves, okay, what for me is awesome? What for me constitutes excellence and accomplished? Because when I look at what's happening over here with these people who have been handed everything, then 
they have a completely different set of standards. They're working with some different circumstances. And for me, I kind of need to be a bit more realistic with myself. And though it's cute to be able to say you consistently made something from nothing, at the end of the day, what did it cost you? What does it cost you? So we have to give ourselves permission to be self-defined and to determine for ourselves what we have the capacity to do and to take care of who we are, to not let our excellence be defined by anybody else. And when it comes down to our relationships, y'all, sometimes, despite how difficult they can be, we have to learn how to love ourselves and love other people from a distance sometimes. A to the men on yeah. that. You yeah. said role strain and I was just like, oh, can you talk a bit about role strain? But then I wanted to ask you too as well. Is there mm-hmm. anything you can think of that you've accomplished that might be like non-traditional and like the, I want to say the corporate sense, but just something, can we give examples of like, what does that look like for you where, you know, as your role as a black woman, you've accomplished something that others may not think is a big deal, but because of your unique situation. And the one that I think about is like registering my siblings for school. Like as a college student trying to go to school, but having to take care of these, you know, younger siblings and like going to send their birth certificate and stuff like that. So do you have just something else that other ladies can like latch on to as they listen for those examples? Attempting to take care of parents business because they are not clear on what their options are. Living in California, being in graduate school, I'll never forget. My parents are still at home in New Orleans and a whole lot of the mindset is their relationships with, let's say, medical professionals tends to be pretty paternalistic. So they don't ask a lot of questions. They don't advocate for themselves. They really don't know what's best for them. They don't hold people accountable and they don't get the information to find out what options they really have as far as their care is concerned. So they basically kind of take the word of the medical professionals. And there have been times when, especially being a psychologist understanding kind of like what this integrated medical care stuff has a potential to look like, particularly for like aging parents. It's like, yeah, no. Did you ask this question? My dad's doctor, my parents have had the same doctor for like 155 bajillion years, I swear. And my dad had colon cancer and a friend of his told him, you know, when he kind of mentioned some of the symptoms, told him that you should talk to your doctor about it. The doctor was like, oh, okay, well, no, we don't see anything. And his friend encouraged him to get a second opinion. The the second doctor told him they found like a baseball-sized polyp. And it was like, okay, if you don't take care of this now, you got about four months. So the the sad part is that my dad wanted to go back to the doctor. There's the same doctor. There was a sense of loyalty that they felt to this particular doctor. And as opposed to them feeling like they could manage their business as adults, I had to be calling back and forth to check people on what I know was supposed to be happening. Are you? T- what about their medication? Have you followed up with whoever the oncologist is? If you've decided to stay with this person who told you that nothing happened and missed all of the signs, I don't understand how you could put your care in people's hands. So ultimately, trying to figure out how to, t- and my parents weren't that old at that particular time because they're still doing great like right now in terms of their cognitive functioning. So it's not like they were, you know, it was any dementia or anything, but just the idea that they felt subservient to these particular people and that they didn't have license or you just kind of don't ask questions of the doctor. You just do what they tell you to do. So having to take care of those kind of things and manage their business from California in order to assure that my parents were receiving the care. And I'm not even saying it had to be the absolute best care, but the reality is that there were some things that 
they had rights to, that they were paying for those particular services. And the fact that they weren't advocating for themselves meant that somebody else had to step in and take care of it. And that's just one of the examples. One example. Yeah. I mean, and you're doing that. And I want our listeners to be clear that you were taking care of this. You were in graduate school, a Mm -hmm. doctor program. That is not. And you were also thousands, hundreds of miles away in California Mm -hmm. managing this. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I just think Mm -hmm. about, yes, how magical we really are. And how in those moments when you were in graduate school, while you are sitting there trying to take care of your parents, you showing up to class was enough, right? Yeah. Now, Mm -hmm. knowing you, because Dr. Moody and I go back, so Mm -hmm. knowing you, you were still on top of your schoolwork, Mm -hmm. showing up in class, and leading discussions, right? You, yeah, that hasn't changed. That has, yeah, that, that hasn't changed. And often considering when went to graduate school, what the conversations were about and the extent to which they literally had, let me say that they were not necessarily appropriate for mental health services for people who look like me. So a lot of it was Okay, I hear you, but I have a challenge for that. What about this? What about that? So trying to advocate for people who look like me, for appropriate care for people who look like me in Los Angeles while I was in school, as well as on the phone back and forth with what should actually be happening with my parents. Yeah. So it's it's been a bit of a fight. I didn't have the luxury of being able to focus on just the work because it couldn't be just work. For me, because the reality of collectivism and the necessity of having to take care, it wasn't like that wasn't folklore for me. That that was I mean, it's it is what we do. We have to show up. And of course, in the meantime, you know how we do. In the meantime, serving on several committees at school and I'm working on research outside of school and serving with professional organizations and doing community work. So, yeah, it's it was it was a lot. It was it was a lot. It was a lot. And guess what? My peers weren't doing all of it. Yeah. No, they weren't. Of course not. And if for one moment you were not present in class, then it became a problem. And then my guess is, because this is what happened to a lot of us, is that now all of a sudden, because they questioned that one time, Mm That you couldn't be fully present because of all the other shit you had going on outside. Mm-hmm. Now you end up questioning yourself. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Because you think about it, there is a responsibility on our part to be very careful in mixed company to not reinforce the stereotypes. So, and you know who I am, and I have the capacity to be very passionate about the stuff that I care about. And it comes out. So the notion that I have to consider how I can present my frustration without reinforcing the angry black lady stereotype and giving them cause to completely dismiss whatever it is that I'm saying because I'm crazy. Yeah. So there's that piece. And the one time that you happen to not be available or you don't you're not fully present in class. So, well, how does she manage to get here anyway? Does she deserve to be here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
does she really right. want this? Right. And they don't know that when you look at, not that we're comparing, but I mean, if you're, for the mm-hmm. sake of this conversation, if you're comparing the plates, it's like you have this whole other world and communities mm-hmm. and, and people that are like really on yeah. your shoulders. Right. And so it's just, we need to give ourselves more credit. We, for sure. That's what we know literally, <laughs> but we actually, yeah. that's the first thing you have to do is to slow down and be able to look at the larger picture. What's interesting is that in a sister circle group, a lot of what we've been talking about is like these COVID realizations that people have been having because it's forced folks to slow down. You, you can't function or overproduce at the same rate you've been able to before. So it's when you kind of stop and look at what all literally is on your plate, then it makes sense that you're super anxious. It makes sense that you do not sleep. Your brain does not shut off. You got to take your have caffeine intoxication during the day. And then you need all the melatonin to get to sleep at night. And that's if, if you get to sleep for three or four hours before you jump up almost in a panic about something else that you feel like you're supposed to have been doing. So it, it's a crazy, it's a crazy making cycle. It's a crazy making cycle. And if, again, if we looked at the larger picture, it would help us to do some reality testing like, oh, you should be doing this. When in actuality, we won't lend credit to ourselves that we give to other people. We don't. So we have to look at what's reasonable. And I don't know about everybody else, but I retired my cake. I don't need to be super. I retired. I, I retired mine. I don't. 2020, no. that cape said, nope, nah, sis. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. yeah. Superwoman is not sexy, okay? Yeah. Oh, no, it's man. overrated. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Superwoman needs several seats. Several seats. Now, yes. speaking of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Several seats. Now, one conversation that Dom and I were having. We were talking about this idea of some Black women that may talk about things going on in their life at brunch, but not necessarily be open to group therapy. What is the story behind this? Because this is the world that mm-hmm. you two are in as psychologists, right? So tell me more about like, what do you sing around that? Because I was trying to think of experiences that I've had where I can honestly, I don't know if y'all have experienced this, but where you need to go to someone like a, you know, a Black person, whether it's in a practice and, and share confidential details about yourself or go to a different person. And sometimes there's this idea of, oh, do I want to go to that person because judgment and all the things that come with it. So what are you hearing about those conversations? Unfortunately, what it seems like is that we have to show, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the amount of depression that Black women disproportionately experience, regardless of the amount of anxiety that we manage, we have to show up looking like we got it all together. Flawless, completely put together. And guess what? We don't just do that in more mainstream environments. We do that with each other. So although it might sound like, okay, well, we understand like how extreme a lot of the concept of the reality shows are. Unfortunately, there is some truth to the notion that if you knew the backstories of what was happening with some of these people, oh, we're going to hang out on the beach and they like have on, they're all glammed up like they spent two hours in the hair and makeup. And it's like, are you kidding me? Only to know that your life is a train wreck behind that. So I think a lot of it is putting on air so that you can look like you have all of it together. The unfortunate reality is that I understand that particularly a lot of women who are accomplished. And, I'm, and when I'm gonna say, I say accomplished, I'm going to say superficially because you could be Mary Jane all day long, all day long. But in the meantime, what we know about Mary Jane is that empty pieces were before you know she got married to Justin at the end. All of the empty stuff on the inside was 
taken over her entire life. It was overwhelming, overshadowing everything else. So she had all of this maladaptive stuff that's going on. So if you are all well put together, but your life is a train wreck, then people kind of get together and you feel like they get points for making it look easy. But in actuality, they don't want to get around other folks and allow for other people to perhaps be able to see that maybe there's a crack somewhere in the glass and maybe I don't have it all together. And, you know, I think that some of what we experience, some of what I've heard, some of what I've heard, particularly for a lot of the, the ladies that we see in our groups, a lot of them are like the only one. A lot of them, they're only black. A lot in some circles, they're the only female. And so they are kind of socialized and reinforced and validated for kind of having it all together, keeping it like, looking like it's all together. But at the same time, they experience a lot of what they experience in isolation. So they feel like other people don't know what it is that I'm really trying to manage, especially if you're like the only one in your family who has that level of accomplishment, that level of status, and people are depending on you to be able to help to carry everybody else. So it's not like there's room for you to be able to say, okay, you know what? I'm really struggling in resentment around all the stuff that I've accomplished and the life that I want has completely escaped me. And so now I'm stuck in this job with these people that I don't care anything about, that I have worked my entire uh-huh. life to actually get to this place. So a lot of them don't give, they don't give themselves permission to feel, to be vulnerable or to feel like they're actually be identified as flawed in front of other people. They're walking around looking perfectly put together. And so some of them might be interested in having the one-on-one conversation with therapists, but won't have the conversations in group, not understanding that groups normalize it. It's like, I, girl, I, when I tell you, I'll see you. When I tell you, I'll see you. That's all of it. All of it. I see you. I see you. And it is okay. And it is not your fault. It is not your fault. It's not. Yeah. And so it's, it's hard. It's, it's so hard. And I also Don't think see. about like college students, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because both work on college campuses. And what I think about is the number of times that I've tried to hold groups just for black women on a college campus, on multiple college campuses. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really work. Right. And so to me, but and it's not like I don't see them hanging out on campus because you see it. I think it goes back to what you were saying about this need to, in a group therapy setting, when you are being asked to be truly vulnerable, really let that guard down in a space that as therapists we know is a safe, comfortable, warm, validating space, that for some Black women, particularly college age, that can be the most terrifying space if you are not mm-hmm. in a space mm-hmm. where you are really ready mm-hmm. to be seen, mm-hmm. right? By multiple people who may know you in multiple areas outside of that therapy room. Mm-hmm. Because I think mm-hmm. about like your sister circle and my guess is like what you were saying about some of those women who are in spaces where they're the only one. Mm-hmm. Well, then, yes, mm-hmm. this a group therapy space is going to be exactly what they need because they don't have it mm-hmm. outside of that. Right. But for those mm-hmm. who have it in multiple areas, 
And if you're, let's say, on a small college mm-hmm. campus, mm-hmm. particularly a predominantly white campus, then we know all the black folks know each other. Yeah. So if I see you in group therapy and while we know that it's supposed to be confidential, oftentimes the fear is if I see you in group therapy mm-hmm. and then I see you across campus later on, are you going to share my business? That's the fear that keeps them from coming right. in. Right. right, right. But when they're in, they kind of know that, OK, well, wait. If I share your business, that means that you could share my business because we were both in that same space. Actually, maybe what could be beneficial is if we share our business, because the business that we're sharing needs Mm. to be shared Mm -hmm. so that change Mm -hmm. can happen on multiple levels. I don't know that they can get past how big the business is a lot of times, or at least how big it seems. Because it's almost like paper that just stacks up and it stacks up. You don't have conversations about the stuff. A lot of times there's shame attached to things. We talk about this inadequacy stuff. There's so many different things that kind of contribute to the weights that we walk around carrying. Keep trying to figure out how to dress them up better so, you know, we can be more fly than we are weighted. I think that there might be a a whole lot more focus on trying to hide it as opposed to considering that there might be a bunch of other people who care in the same thing that you got going on. Yeah. 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 And it makes me think, I wonder if there's an opportunity for us to sort of be engaged with our story in a different way where we realize that what we're going through, what happened to us, like that stuff doesn't define us. Mm-hmm. So that we don't have to, mm-hmm. like, we feel like we have to protect it and be ashamed and embarrassed by it. And then I also wanted to ask you about, do you notice anything? Cause I feel like church is one of the places I think about when, <laughs> when this happens, because I've taught, I mean, I've been raised in church my whole life and I've, you know, to be honest, my family was one of the families where it's like, you're the family on the fan, right? Everything looks good, but behind scenes, all hell is breaking mm-hmm. loose. Okay. And so when you think about that, it's like, it, sometimes mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when it comes to black people or black women, we don't want to share the stuff with our people for sure. Cause we're like, we really got to hold up that image perfection. But if it slips out in another community, then it's a little different because it's like, as long as my people don't know that we really mm-hmm. struggling and this is going on. Do you notice that at all? As far as, yeah. Honey, let me tell you something about church people. You want to talk about fear of judgment? Oh my goodness. The church is supposed to be, as I understand it, because somebody could have some different perceptions about this. As I understand it, the church is supposed to be where the sick folk come to actually receive healing and salvation. Yes. But a lot of times the black churches don't want you unless you're already healed. So if you're coming in here looking sick, then we got, there's probably going to be some sidebar conversations about what's going on and why you're sick and everything else. And the unfortunate reality is that what we do is, well, let me not identify myself as church people because I happen to be a Christian. I think Christians in practice and and church people are two completely different things. But the church people are the ones who maintain the facades and who actually, they deter the people who need to be in church because of the judgment. And in the meantime, while they're working on looking prim and proper, Everything is falling to pieces. Everything is falling to pieces. In addition to the fact that regardless of what you got going on in the pulpit and who all the the secrets with the 
the pastors right and the who stealing the money in the back and what all else is going on between the the deacons and the deaconesses and all the rest of the other extracurricular stuff. In addition to all of that, we are telling people that psychotherapy is not good, that you should just pray. You just just pray if you because guess what? If you do go to therapy, that means oh ye of little faith. Uh-huh. And in addition to that, some of the conversations that we don't have about, particularly around the patriarchy in the church, and the notion that there is a tendency to hyper-spiritualize the very human experiences of the people who sit in, in a church. So, for example, one of the conversations that me and another friend of I have, as a matter of fact, Dr. Camp, that we do the sister circle groups with, and we talk about the single Black women and the like how the percentage of the actual church body that they make up. And it's one thing for you to have the single black women. And, and when generationally the expectation was that you get married by 26 or, you know, but 27, whatever. But if you 45, 50 and you sit in, in the church and the reality is that there are very human experiences for people who have adopted and internalized very traditional values that you don't have. You don't have a husband. You don't have children. And all you have is your job. Well, that means, you know, from for some people's perspective that you have more time to lend to the church. But there's no consideration for my very human reality and experience of what that looks like. You just wait. The pause is intentional. You just wait. There's there's no other conversation about what that might look like because you didn't make yourself human. There are some instinctual things that are are happening with you as an individual. There are some realities that you can't control per se, but there's nothing else to offer other than wait and serve while you're waiting. In the meantime, there are different allowances for other people's mistakes and indiscretions. But a lot of times, the women in the church are expected to don't don't hyper spiritualize the very real human experiences because when it comes down to what a lot of the men do then there is room for error then there are there's a road to redemption and the people can be redeemed and then take their rightful place again but for women you you sit and you wait so yeah there's a lot of our stuff and, and it has implications for what a lot of people's spirituality ends up looking like because you know, though I can celebrate other people's stuff, but if I did what I was supposed to do, or let me say what y'all told me to do, and all you have for me yet is to, t- you still sit and you, you wait until, you know, what the Lord has for you is for you, and until it shows up, you sit in this pew faithfully, and you serve with no level of consideration for what that might actually look like in terms of your human experience. So it's interesting, and the judgment when you don't. The judgment, the judgment. Have you ever had the scowl of the church? Yes. Mother? Wow. The mm-hmm. church mother scowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come to church too cute. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or be the one who's decided, you know what? I want a baby. So I'm going to do IVF by myself and I'm going to have one. Come to church looking like you six or seven months pregnant with no husband. Girl. <laughs> In the scowl. Do you understand? So now, Dr. Mm-hmm. Moody, as we think mm-hmm. about all of these things that we carry as Black women, and one of the things that you've been saying mm-hmm. is the need for us to really like take pause and 
take care of ourselves. What do you do to take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. And what would you recommend for other black women to do to like take care of themselves? I do not mind sharing that I have not arrived. But what I have learned to do is to, first of all, establish boundaries with people. And I had to learn how to say no and be okay with it because I don't have a responsibility and obligation to carry everybody's everything. And I had to start doing, spending more time with myself and reflecting and paying attention to how I was responding to what my experiences were. I mean, also, like I say, you know, I'm a practicing Christian. So in terms of my spiritual relationship, then there were some things I kind of had to pay attention to in terms of being able to reconnect to what I understand is my purpose and what things were kind of detracting and pulling away from that in order for me to be able to get back on track. And so a part of what I had been doing is overproducing and showing up when everybody else decided that they needed for me to show up and extending more than I had for whoever it was that they decided that they needed and for every cause being a good, I had to like, okay, Janice, your, your path needs to be a bit more narrow than this. And to take into consideration that my resources are limited. So just like as a psychologist, I preach that you have to take care of yourself and put your own oxygen mask on before you put it, you know, try to help anybody else. A huge part of what I had to learn how to do is put my own oxygen mask on, not feel guilty about it and be okay with other people figuring out how to do whatever it is that they need to do. That's a huge part of it. And every now and then, just like we protect time for, you know, if there's nothing else, you know, I hear people say, oh, well, you know, it's time for me to start being disciplined. Honey, if I tell you nothing else, I would not have had four degrees by 30 if I could not be disciplined. I couldn't. So I think I've done my share of being disciplined. That is most certainly not a skill that I'm, I'm void of. But the notion that I can figure out how to protect time, resources, and energy to take care of myself, much like the time that I protected to make sure that I read articles and make sure that I wrote what I needed to wrote and finished assessments and wrote reports and all the rest of this stuff in graduate school and the other stuff that I did to invest yes. in all of these other external things. I've been able to take into consideration, see who I am, real like this constellation of really interesting idiosyncrasies. Like, you know, I love all of that. It is unique and it's, it was divinely created. So you have a responsibility to protect it or you won't be able to give to the world whatever it is that you created to give to the world. So I had to start taking care, better care of me. And like I said, because I'm very passionate about being able to give to the communities that I care about and the causes that I am passionate about, yes. then a lot of times I feel pulled every time there's something that's a worthy cause that I want to give myself. But you can't give good to everything. You can't. So being selective, giving myself permission to reprioritize. And when it's time to go sit down, go sit down and not feel obligated to explain. I don't have to explain. And I don't need nobody to give me permission. Yeah. That part. I love it. That is the hard is so part is making sure that we know that no is a complete sentence and that we don't have to explain mm -hmm. ourselves to anybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we, we owe no one, no explanations okay. for us saying, sorry, I mm -hmm. can't do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, and what I was about to say before you even said, sorry, is apologizing. I don't know that we pay attention to how often we apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. Whether it is 
sorry, not for interrupting, but for so much as even having a voice. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say other people ain't apologizing for having a voice. Don't apologize for having one. Don't. Don't. Well, I can't. I can't do it. Or how about give yourself permission to decide? Maybe I can do, but I won't. I'm not. This. I. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Ooh. I'm not. No. No. It is, and we don't give ourselves that. We don't give ourselves. And as a matter of fact, we allow other people to take it on some level. Expect that. We have to shift that stuff up. And guess what? It doesn't happen in one day because it has to be deprogrammed. It has to be deprogrammed. And it is a good thing for us to surround and connect ourselves with people who understand and who can resonate with that and who reinforce it. And you can reinforce it with each other. Mm-mm, put that down. Get someone sat down. <laughs> we definitely do that for each other, for sure. That is powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, I cannot wait to listen back to this episode. This is definitely one of those episodes where I'm like, oh, I can't wait to listen to this. And you said something about shifting. And so, Dr. Moody, we're about to shift up mm-hmm. the energy of the podcast a little bit. Okay. 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 Because <laughs> we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman. And we believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet. You can still be elegant and dance to strip club music. We want to invite you to the OU Clatchet segment. Now, before I ask if you're going to take on the challenge, before the interview, Dr. Moody was like, so I'm good to go, but um, what's this ratchet part about? <laughs> <laughs> so now is the time, Dr. Moody, okay. about to go down. So do you take on the challenge? Absolutely. I ain't scared. Hey, hey. All right. All right. Let's kick it off. We'll start with a little easy question here. Okay. So what topic can you talk about all day long? Relationships. Relationships, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. I have to have you back to talk about some relationships then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So many moving parts, so many moving yes. parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a I lot of research it. on, as a matter of fact, my dissertation focused on African American heterosexual relationships, like trying to figure out what in the hell is going on, how do we get here, and how do we fix it? So, yeah, okay. yeah, have you back? Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now the question Work or two step? Come on now. Are y'all familiar with my good friend Frida? Honey, it it have to be. It's it's a part of it is it's in the water. I'm from New Orleans. Yeah. Yes. I'm yeah, so it's gonna be a twerk. I'm yeah, it's not gonna be a two step. It's not. Yes, yes I love it. My good friend Frida. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> now speaking of twerking, okay, what song gets you on the dance floor at the club or the party? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Back that ass up. It just it's classic. It is classic. I'm so like, wait a minute, I can be cute and everything else, but do, let me drop this drink. Do I need to take these shoes off? Wait a minute. It's about right, to go down. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Put my flats on. That has to be our like episode theme song because I I swear so many of our guests are like, back that ass right. juvenile, right? I love yeah. it. I love it. Yes, yes. <laughs> now here's one that really is we're going in. Okay. Your students might not need to hear this answer, but we're going to go there. We're going to see. We're going to see. Because they get a lot. What <laughs> would your stripper name be? Hmm. That's a good question. You have a fun last name, so I feel like you could really come up with something nice. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. She put me on that kind of front street. She put me on that kind of front street. That is a... I don't... Oh. 
I'm I'm mad that I never I never even entertained it. I'm mad I never entertained it. I feel like I've been limited. Love it. I love it. We have you. I love it. Yes. Okay. I don't know. I'm thinking it would have to have something to do with thighs. Oh, it would have to have moody thighs. Yeah, moody thighs. Yeah, (laughs) it would have to have something with thighs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. We got a little a little preview there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, the last question okay. for you. Okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. Mm-hmm. So she said, Moody guys, our last question for you, Dr. Moody, is how do you want to be remembered? When you think about your legacy. As committed, inspirational, motivational, and committed. I self-describe as a change agent. And I won't have anything different. You can't sit me down from it. You can't pull me away from it. And I challenge and charge my students to the exact same things. I don't give them the luxury of not knowing. So I want to be remembered for shifting paradigms, for increasing people's consciousness and awareness. So much so to the point where once you know, you can't not know, despite what you decide to do with it, that you'll be able to see things clearer and be more responsible for making a decision, an informed decision on whether or not you will be the something that makes something be different or if whether or not you will contribute to the maintenance of the status quo. Yeah, the change agent. I want, I, yeah, I want to be remembered for being a change agent. Yeah. 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 Dr. Moody, this conversation has been so incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your insight, your gift, your humor, your stories with our audience. This was such an amazing conversation. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to coming yes, back. Yes, we have to have you back. And I I just think about how this is like a small little snippet, small little insight into some of our conversations that we have. Yes. 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 With a bit, with a few more colors, with a few more colors, but absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited you guys are doing this. I'm excited you guys are doing it. I'm looking forward to coming back and sharing with y'all. Thank you, Dr. Moody. And if we have listeners that want to keep in touch with you and learn more about you and any of your resources, where can they connect with you? You all can check me out at my website at www.drjanismoody.com. It's D-R-J-A-N-N-I-S-M-O-O-D-Y.com. Or in in Dr. Janice Moody on Facebook as well. Yeah. Hey, lady, it's Terry here from the Herspace podcast, and I have some exciting news for you. I just published my self-help book, How to Glow Up As You Grow Up, your go-to guide for overcoming obstacles and making lemonade. So if you've ever experienced loss, childhood trauma, a narcissistic partner or depression, this book is just for you. If you visit glowupbook.com, again, that's glowupbook.com, you can order your copy today and you will surely be inspired. So I hope that you decide to join me on this journey and I'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us today in Her Space. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health but it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory 
Psychology Today or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast or check out our website at HerSpacePodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Although my plans may change, I will stay committed to my purpose. We'll see you next week, lady.